Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, it's just such a friendly response. Great to see you at this frenetic time of year and appreciate you taking time out and being here. I want to do um, an advertisement, first of all, which is for our watch night service on the 31st of December. Um, if you're still making up your mind what to do or where to go, this is a good place to come. Um, so we are... It says from at 10 o'clock. It starts at 10, you'll notice. But that's for refreshments, tea, coffee, squash, and cake. So um, I just want you to realize that if you book in, then we can govern and manage that refreshment period even better than if you just turn up and go, where's my cake? You know, so um, if, you can, if you can do that, just book it. It doesn't cost you nothing cost you nothing, but if you can book in, it's really helpful for all those who are arranging it. And you say, well, what are we doing that night? Well, we're going to have time for worship, of course, and um, we're going to give thanks for the past year. We're going to pray and thank God for the past year, and we'll have a couple of testimonies. We're going to pray for this coming year. We're going to tune into Big Ben at midnight, but we'll just center in on Jesus at the turn of the year. So if you know you're coming, um, please book in and let us know. That would be very helpful. Thank you. Okay, um, I think just looking at time, I'm going to dive straight in. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Luke 2, 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. It caused great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word 
concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I'm well aware this is very familiar territory for many of us, but you know, it's just good to hear it. All over, it's just good to hear it. And we started this series uh, three weeks ago from a cosmic perspective, from John uh, chapter 1 in John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and so we, you know, we, we, we saw that this moment that we're looking at now was, was planned way before the creation of the world. It was just a, such a cosmic view. Now when we read this account by Luke... He's going to earth it in the here and now. So you real people, real town, real day. He's a historian. So everything he writes, and he knows this, can be investigated. Luke is meticulous. His writing is like a camera that, that has a zoom lens. And he starts with the Roman world. And then, then you get a town in Galilee. And then it focuses into a a field nearby, and, and, and finally, the manger. He, he starts with main characters, Caesar Augustus and the governor of Syria, Quirinius, that's a name to pronounce. And then he, he, these are big names, and then he zooms in on the, on the ordinary and the unknown. There's a carpenter, and, a, and Mary, Joseph, shepherds, do you know what, right, what, what, what struck me as I read this chapter was the, how, how brief it was. There's not a lot in it. You know, the journey, no room in the inn, a manger. I mean, even the birth, it's all quite sparse. I don't know if you noticed that. There's an evident lack of extra information. Luke does this deliberately. The first seven verses are like clinical and they are important. And he's not mixing it up with loads of other things. They are important. There's a recent survey done, and it's asked people, we found in the survey that four out of ten people believe that Jesus, the existence of Jesus was a myth. You know, that he never existed. But Luke won't allow you to do that. He gives you places and names and events and people. You, they're all there. And not just in the first couple of chapters either. It goes all the way through his writings. He does this stuff. Historical evidence for Jesus' birth. Vast numbers of academic historians from all across the spectrum. The case is overwhelming. Somebody once said that you, you know, to... To regard it that Jesus is a myth would be like saying the Holocaust never happened. You just can't go there. So before we get too nostalgic about babies being born in a manger, the question to ask, is it true? Otherwise, what are we doing? Is it true? So that's the real question. And Luke won't let you do fairy tales and make-believe. God's claims in regards to Jesus Christ, are too important for that. So if you notice here, the shepherd's encounter 
gets more attention than Jesus' birth. Did you get that? More attention. Why? Because he doesn't want us to miss the message. Now, some people love experiences. I think we all do. We just love experiences and love the occasion. But the encounter of shepherds and angels, as extraordinary as it is, is about a message, and you mustn't miss it. So we're going to look at three things, if we have time. So, you know, listen well, be a peacemaker, and don't be afraid. That's, that's where we're heading. You know, marriage will testify, so will family life, that it's easy to hear, and, um, and yet not listen. And if I was to tell you all of my experiences, even recently, we would be here all day. So I'm not going there, but we get it. The shepherds get an angel. Actually, they get a whole host. When it says host, it means an an army. So you haven't got a little choir going on here on a hillside. I mean, it is huge. It's a multitude, a massive number of angels. See, suddenly a great company... The heavenly host appeared. This is a major moment. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for, for all the people. Great joy that we cause for all the people. Now, the first thing to notice to whom the message comes, it doesn't come to a VIP. There's no celebrities here. There's no big people, socially big people. There's none of them. This comes to the little people, to a carpenter, a virgin, shepherds. They're not in the who's who's. They're just not there. You, wouldn't know, you just wouldn't find them. And what's more, if you, if you don't know this, you might not, you might not realize that the, the, the non-status of shepherds, I mean, they're more than just little people. They are bottom of the pile. They're nomadic, generally regarded uneducated, and perceived as dishonest. So poorly were they viewed that they were excluded from giving testimony in a court of law. Now that's a point God's making, isn't it? Good news, great joy. Who for? All the people. All the people. No exclusions. Not even you. Not even me. Yeah, but you, Neil, you don't know about, not even you. Yet I've got no buts. Not even you. All the people. If there had been a a sign outside the place where the manger was, it would have read, no perfect people allowed. That would have been a great sign, wouldn't it? So the shepherds get the message from an angel. It's not difficult to pay attention to an angel, by the way. Um, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But, but everybody else gets a shepherd. I don't know if you ever thought about that. They get an angel, and everybody else gets a shepherd. See, verse 17 says, When they had seen him, they, they spread the word. Who? The shepherds. Concerning what was said about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the angels... No, no, what the shepherds said to them. Everyone... Everyone else gets a shepherd. Not even a scholar. They get a shepherd. Ordinary people. Actually, very ordinary people. And they're amazed. 
They could have just lived in the moment, couldn't they? I think they could have just lived in that great moment. They could have basked in that, the wonder, the glory. Do you know what? I mean, that's an experience. I mean, I've never had anything like that. That's an experience, isn't it? On a hillside. I mean, that story would get you a few drinks in the bar. Regularly, I reckon. You know, you could live on that sort of stuff. But that's not the point. Now, some people, the point is the experience. But it wasn't the point. The point was it's a signpost. That's the point. Let's, and they get it. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Listen well. It's not just the experience. Listen well. The people who heard them were amazed. Why? Because they listened well. Something had happened to the shepherds. And as they tell their story, they got it. They heard and they saw the message through ordinary people. No angels, no choir, ordinary people. When ordinary people are transformed by the living God, it makes a massive difference, believe me. And the people were amazed. Now think about it, just a minute. Social outfits, social misfits, outcasts, the shepherds. They could have given this one a miss. How do you think she's going to feel when we arrive? Ever thought of that one? How do, I, how do we do this? I mean, we should, you know, do we knock on the door? <laughs> Hi. Yeah, I know you weren't expecting me, but we had this, you know. How, how does that, I, I'm not quite even sure how that happens. I, I love thinking about things like that. So, but they could have given the visit a miss. Why would we be wanted? Who wants to see us? Who is going to listen to us? I wonder if you've ever thought that. Who's going to listen to me? They didn't. They went. They had a story to tell. They had listened well. And the people who heard their story listened well too. Listen, church. If you have an opportunity, I'm not asking you to be pushy. And don't ram your story down people's throats when it's uninvited. But if somebody gives you opportunity and invites you, tell your story. Don't give them an hour. That's not fair. Just a short just a snippet. Just start, just start people on your journey. Tell your story. Don't be afraid to tell your story. Our mission is to see ordinary people changed by Jesus, change the world. That's how it works. That's how it's working here. Ordinary people changed by Jesus, change the world. And Mary listens too, in a different way. She treasures these things in her heart. She's, that means savors it. And then she ponders. That means she sort of joins all the dots. So don't underestimate your ability to hear. And don't underestimate your ability not to hear. Listen well. Secondly, let's be a peacemaker. Peacemaker, verse 14 goes, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And here, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now the Bible tells us, That becoming a Christian, that before becoming a Christian, we are at war with God. 
Now, you find that uncomfortable. I, get, I just get it. I get it. We find that uncomfortable, and uh, we don't like to see ourselves like this, but the Bible's really clear. It says, once we were God's enemies. That's in Romans 5, verse 10. Once we were God's enemies. And then it says things like this. It says, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that the natural state in us is at war with God. I've been reading this um, book by David Bennett. It's called A War of Loves. And the title is prefaced with the words, The Unexpected Story of a Gay Activist Discovering Jesus. That is a great read, actually. It really is a good read. He's not giving me any commission. He doesn't know me. But I, I was, I've, been, I've been really caught up with this book. It's very, really helpful. He's a, he's a, he is a gay activist. He's atheist. He's hostile towards church, God, Christianity. I mean, the whole works. And the heat comes off the pages. The early part of his story, the heat, how he feels about the church and Christians comes off the pages. I mean, he is really hostile. He's in a pub. He meets this woman called Madeline, whom he wanted to interview for his student magazine. Madeline was shortlisted for a film award, and the film award was about her film was raising awareness of people with disabilities. He is very impressed with her. He sees her in this pub. He goes, he says, uh, so he says to her, I launched, he said right away, I launched into the question I wanted to ask. How did you become a finalist for this award? You just graduated. That depends, she said. Do you want the real answer or the interview answer? I laughed, unprepared for what would follow. The real answer, of course. God led me to make the film. Madeline must have seen the shock on my face. I remember the conversation that I'd had with my aunt an uncle over Christmas lunch, please don't mention Jesus. I was thinking the same. I couldn't see how Christianity had anything to do with her work. How could a faith that oppressed me and so many others motivated to do such good work? Which God, I asked with a hint of sarcasm. We talking like Vishnu here? Jesus, she said. And so he has, about a, he has about a thousand and one objections, and yet he knows this lady. And he writes in here, I, she wasn't like the moralizing, intolerant, anti-intellectual, homophobic Christians he had previously met. So after some conversations, she says to him, I never usually ask this. But I can feel God's presence really strongly. Can I pray for you? Well, he has a number of mental gymnastics now going at this stage. And then he says, yeah, you can pray for me, he said, but I don't think anything's going to happen. So as Madeline laid her hands on me and prayed, the bustle of the pub faded away. I entered into a stillness, a peace. Soon I felt a soft tingling on the crown of my head that slowly intensified as if someone were pouring oil over me. 
the warm sensation ran down my entire body like a current of water. It was unlike anything I had ever felt before. And in a moment, in that experience so totally from outside me, so totally unasked for, everything turned upside down in my mind. All my searching in religion, in relationships, in atheism, none of it compared with this love coursing through me like electricity. For the first time, I knew God was real, that he loved me. This changed everything I realized. It's a good book. And um, the first thing he describes is a stillness. And he calls it a peace. The Christian life begins with the peace of God. If you read the book, there are many hurdles he goes through. There are many hurdles he has to overcome. Many. I mean, the Bible is a huge problem for him. He has experienced God, but the Bible is another matter entirely. And he, but I, his journey starts with the peace of God. You know, when you put your trust in what the Lord Jesus has done for you and turn away from the life you've been living, we have peace with God. And my friends, the war is over. That's how it works. I tell you, I get this. I understand hostility towards God. That's my story. I get the hostility stuff. You don't have to convince me of that. I get it completely. Why, Why a war? Because the bottom line is we want to be in charge. I want to live the life the way I want to live it. And no one's going to tell me what to do. And nobody's going to tell me what to believe. And just in case you think this is for the irreligious, that is not true. The religious person says, I read my Bible, I go to church, I pray. Therefore, God has to give me a good life. He owes it to me. Well, what's going on here? Uh, We want to control God. We want a God that we can control. That, my friends, is not good news. The mark of real Christianity is that a Christian sees their hostility and constantly grasps the grace of God. It's the only way to receive Jesus as Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We're reliant on the work of Jesus Christ. In 1999, Jonathan Aitken, uh, his conservative cabinet minister, he was sentenced for perjury and uh, went to Belmarsh Prison, 18 months at Belmarsh Prison. And that first night was horrendous. And when the prison cell door closed, one neighbor started and the next neighbor started and they got this chant going. And then the whole floor was doing the chant. Everybody's doing this chant. And the chant, uh, uh, Jonathan Aitken said, he can't tell you the words because they're all about what they're going to do to his anatomy. And so it's across the landing, and then it's the block, uh, up, down, and then it's another block, and then it's another block, and they're all chanting of what they're going to do to Jonathan Aitken. He's louder, louder, wilder, wilder. He said he was scared. So scared. He said, I, he said he was so scared that he did what he thought any normal person would do is just get on their knees and pray. But he couldn't pray. He couldn't even pray. 
He's on this stone floor. He can't pray. And he tried to pray the Lord's Prayer. And he couldn't pray the Lord's Prayer. And then in the folds of his uh, clothes, he found this, this book of Psalms, which somebody had put into his pocket. And he, and he turned to Psalms of Trouble or Despair. And it came to Psalm 130. And he read it. Out of the depths, I cry to your Lord. And immediately identified with the writer of this word. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. And this peace broke into his life. He experienced the peace of God. Slept right the way through the night. It just starts with peace. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, the Bible says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of God isn't just good news for you or me. It's good news for everyone. You know, those who have got the peace of God have actually put their hands up and admitted they're wrong. <laughs> I'm out of, I just shouldn't have done this. The, the, those, are, those are God's, they, they have received the peace of God. Well, if you've received the peace of God, surely you can give it away. You know, the people who received the peace of God know what it is to be forgiven, therefore they can forgive. They know what it is to be reconciled, therefore they can reconcile as much as others will let them. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Because they have peace with God. If you want to have peace with others, this is the place to start. Glory to God and peace to those in whom his favors rest. Finally, the angels' words to the shepherds are, fear not, don't be afraid. Now, why does the angel say that? Because they're afraid. That's why the angel says that. They are terrified, absolutely terrified. And uh, hence the reassurance. Now, you go through scripture and you go um, time and time again when the glory of God turns up and in a presence like this, you get this thing. People are terrified. Moses falls on his face. Isaiah comes undone. He, falls, he feels as if he's been taken apart. John falls on his face. Peter, Peter says, get away from me. I can't cope. Just get away from me. You get this time and time again. They're afraid. Where did that come from? So if you go back to the early part of the Bible in the early chapters of Genesis, you realize that we got this story of Adam and Eve. And they're in the Garden of Eden. It's the place of paradise. And then they break ranks with God. And they want to do it their way. And then God's presence comes. And fear breaks in for the first time. And what does it say? They were afraid. We were afraid. Where are you? We were afraid. Before, before that, everything's fine. Everything's at peace. And then fear breaks in. I wonder what you're afraid of today. Some people are afraid of rejection. Do you know, if you knew the perfect, if you had a perfect relationship of perfect love with God, and nobody has that, but if you had that, you would not be afraid of it anybody and you wouldn't feel rejection or failure from anyone now we get there in part but this is where fear comes from are you afraid of the future 
Are you afraid of things you don't know, the unexpected? God will carry you through. Do you know him like that? You're afraid of death? I meet people time and time again. They're afraid of death. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. You go to a funeral and there is an essence of, is that it? 70 years? 80 years? Maybe much less. Well, what's that about? People have a fear of death. People have a fear of death, my friends. Christian uh, Steven Spielberg does this movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Just raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Oh, look, good people. Hey, brilliant. So, and this, the aliens come down. Da -da -da -da, and, uh, and, uh, and then everybody's sort of standing around and they're sort of wondering, I wonder how this is going to work. And I go, wow, wow, that's amazing. But nobody does that with God. Nobody goes, oh, wow, that's amazing. They don't. They're terrified. You see God in all of his brilliance and his beauty and his holiness. You suddenly become aware of what you're like. That's what happens. If you were impersonating a policeman and a real policeman turned up, you'd be afraid that you would be discovered for who you really are. Just think, you're the smart, you think you're smart. I mean, I look at here, out here, I go, this is a smart bunch. <laughs> but, you know, you think, yeah, I'm smart. I'm, you, think, I'm, you think you're smart, you think you're smart. And then somebody who is really smart comes in the room. And you're in this small company, and that's that the person who's really smart. You don't want to say too much. Because you don't want to display your ignorance because that's really smart. Or let's take it another way. You think, you, think you're good at football. I think they're good at football. And then a real footballer comes on. I mean, an absolute pro. And you go, I'm not sure I really want to play. I just want to watch. Or a guitarist. You think you're great at the guitar. <laughs> Fantastic. Look at my guitar. It's brilliant. And then a real guitarist comes in the room. And boy, can this guy play. I'm not going to just step aside. I'll watch the real thing. See, when God breaks in, and, and this is just a mere glimpse, that's all I can do is just, because illustrations are so difficult to, to, to handle, but when, but when God breaks in, we go, oh my goodness me. And then uh, his beauty displays our ugliness. It highlights our ugliness. And the, 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 you know, the glory of God shines in, and we realize how dark life is. It's just a completely different level. This power, the sheer power of God. We realize how impotent we are. We're not qualified to be masters of our own destiny. We're out of, we're out of depth running the show of our lives. We not only break rules, we break the rules that we make. We break those. So the angel of the Lord says, I've got the answer for all this. Today in the house of David, a Savior has been born to you. It's the Messiah, the Lord, Savior. We need a Savior, my friends. That's the whole point. A Savior has been born to you. Your fear of rejection and failure, it's always born to you. You don't have to live like that. You're exhausted 
with justifying your life and your existence, a Savior has been born to you. The freedom for forgiveness, yes, please, for you. And he really is the Lord. He is the real thing. This is none other than God himself. Now, Tim Keller is Leeds Redeemer Church in New York, and he spoke at the Houses of Parliament this summer. And um, we, I think John used this illustration a couple of years ago. But he illustrates from the writer Dorothy Sayers. And she's the, she writes detective mystery fiction. And in her story, you have the detective is Lord Peter Whimsey. And he solves mysteries. And halfway through the series, she introduces this character called Harriet Vane. And Harriet was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. Which is strange because... That was Dorothy Sayers too. And Harriet Vane doesn't perceive herself as very attractive, which is strange because that's what, Harriet, that's what Dorothy Sayers thinks about herself. So she's writer of this mystery fiction. And, and so she brings Harriet Vane in and she sees that Peter is lonely and she sees she's the person for him. And she, in this fiction, having brought Harriet Vane in, marries Peter. You think, that's a really sweet story. God's story is even better. Because it's not fiction. It's real. And he writes himself into our story. Your story. The story of real people. Not just to be with us. But to die for us. To set aside his glory. So that you might experience his glory. To be in complete turmoil. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That you might know his peace. Wow. He's written himself into your story. There's not even room given for him. Not a room in an inn. That you might live in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. What did he do for you? He died for you. He's your savior. He gave himself for you. He loves you. Hey, don't be afraid. Amen? Okay, Ron.